If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. I'm going to read from the book of Mark, chapter 2. I'm going to read 12 verses, just a little bit of a chunk. And we're going to live out this amazing Bible story. It's Mark, chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, here's what the Word says in a gorgeous Sunday morning here at, uh, at Harvest. It goes like this. Here we go. It says, a few days later, Jesus, when, uh, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard they had come home. They gathered in such a large numbers that there was no room left. This is Mark chapter 2, verse 1 and 12. Uh, uh, no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So men came uh, bringing them a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of all were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? What is easier? To say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. I love verse 12. I love the first three words. It says, he got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I, I want to talk for a couple of moments of the night they tore the roof off. Uh, you know, it's been numbers of years now where, uh, where some will ask us in, in our travels, what is the difference from uh, week to week in churches? And uh, what do you see in uh, churches where things are happening or whatever? That's the president. Tell him I'll call him in half an hour. He's just been bothering me a lot lately, but I'll take his call, whatever. I'm just having fun. But listen careful. That they ask, so what, what is happening in different churches? And uh, what is the, what the main difference? And the answer is simple. When there's vision in the house, everything changes. The Bible says that when there is no vision, the people perish. And I know there's speech of eternal implications, but when there is a lack of vision in a house or among the people, a spiritual death sets into that place. I've not sensed that in my three days in this great church. Uh, when I listened to your pastor, I saw the footage of your Easter outreach, whatever. Uh, you want to be grateful. Yeah, COVID, yes, it's been difficult. Uh, yes, some people have left, but God is still building his church. But when there's no vision, a death sets in. But we get to a place and we just count nickels and noses, a death sets in. Uh, when their vision doesn't uh, go beyond the walls of a church, a death sets in. But when there's vision, life fills the house. And we look at this amazing miracle in Mark chapter 2. There's nothing that's hidden. We know the end of the story. A lame guy gets healed. A guy is brought to Jesus and the Lord forgives his sins and heals his paralysis and bones crackle, muscles come back in place. And the guy gets up in front of them all. There's nothing like seeing a miracle before your eyes. I remember sharing with a, a Pastor Tim and Sharon, a woman in Romania, uh, at an altar one night, altar would begin to yell over and over, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was so loud, so pronounced, so beautiful, saying the name of Jesus. But when she began to yell that out, there was a commotion. People began to weep and, and began to worship. It turns out she was born unable to speak or hear. But at the altar in a second, Jesus popped open both ears and loosened her tongue. Her first words were the name that's above every other name. Jesus still works miracles. 
And so there's a miracle in Mark chapter 2. And there's many we can focus on. Uh, of course, Christ, the centerpiece, the, the man that was healed. We can focus on the guys in there that were upset by the miracle and were, were kind of quite a question Jesus. Uh, those people are still present, and many of them still attend our churches, have no vision, no heart after God, but making sure that Jesus behaves himself in church. But our focus is on the four unnamed men in the book of Mark chapter 2. Because you look at these four guys, there were others, but there were four men, the Bible tells us, that carried the paralytic to Christ. Our focus is on four guys. I don't know their names, never wrote a book. I don't think ever were interviewed on television. But these are four guys we're talking about 2,000 years later. Because they got it, they get it. That vision involves a number of things. And the first thing that teaches about vision was that vision always must involve the spirit of compassion. I, I, I don't know how it happened, but I, somewhere in the course of the day, in the life of these four guys, uh, they're living life or doing it work or doing whatever. But Samuel saw the paralyzed man. At least one of them had to say to the other, look at that poor guy. Let's walk into his life and let's see what God might do. May we never underestimate the power of a spirit of compassion. I've never met one person or one church that was thriving and growing and touching lives that wasn't addicted to a spirit of compassion. Now, when someone loses their vision for ministry, this can happen individually and corporately. What happens is we begin becoming specialists at how bad the world is. We begin to tell people that you, you, because you do this and uh, that's happening, we, we begin to critique and tell the world how bad they are when we're all called to not tell the world how bad they are. We're called to tell the world how good Jesus is. And so, but you see it all over Scripture. Philippians 1.9 teaches us that we're to abound more and more in God's love. In 1 Thessalonians 3.12, it says, uh, But may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as our love does for you. Book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says that we are to actually be clothed with compassion. There's something about a person or a church that just loves people, that just genuinely loves people. And I mentioned we're going to Calcutta uh, back after a two-year uh, uh, absence because of what's happened in our world. And uh, the ministry in Calcutta, uh, Mark Montaigne, great missionary, now in heaven. Mark Montaigne led my brother to Jesus many, many years ago. My brother Bob, I, I got saved, and, and, uh, and, and, and my, my, God changed my life. And every time my brother Bobby, I said, Bob, Jesus is coming after you. I'm not sure that's a great way to win souls or whatever, but I said, Bobby, Jesus is coming after you. I said, no believe. I didn't know any better. And so my brother thought, because I got saved, went to Bible school, then my mother got saved. You know my mother, old Mother Hubbard. That's my mother. Old Mother Hubbard was my mother. And so my parents got saved, and my brother Bob said, up in Massachusetts, he said, man, i got to find out what's happening to our family. We're not, we're not a, a religious family, but I got a brother in Bible school. I got a mom and dad. My dad was a pro basketball player many years ago uh, who played for the Hawks many, many years ago. And uh, my brother Bob said, who was a great athlete, he said, what's going on with our family? And so my brothers thought, well, you know what? I'm going to check this out, but I'm not going to church on Sunday. Because Greg got religious, he put it in those words, he got religious on Sunday, and my mom and dad got religious on Sunday. They must recruit people on Sundays. He said, I'm not going on Sundays. He said, but I hear they meet on Wednesdays. I'll check it out on Wednesday. How many know Jesus is alive on Wednesday nights? So Bob went to church, sat in the back row. There was a guy preaching in Mark Montaigne that night. He gave a message and then walked in the back of that church and grabbed my brother by the shoulders and said, young man, you came tonight because you're seeking Jesus, aren't you? And my big brother Bobby said, yes, sir, I think I am. He got saved that night and has been in full-time ministry for over 30 years. So Mark Montaigne 
It's not a love for people individually, but a love for people corporately. And every day in India, Kolkata, they'll feed over 30,000 people every day in Kolkata. They have schools that you can go to. What, there are thousands of, of kids from the garbage dumps that are, are now have uniforms and they're, they're getting good meals and they're, they're being taught uh, education and the things of God. And they feed all these thousands of kids. How did it begin? It happened one day on the grounds of the church in Kolkata campus. Uh, when there was a teacher, and, and it was, he just happened to look into a room, and uh, they, it was their first little school, and, and a girl had passed out. It was lying on the floor, and the teacher was fanning her, giving her a cup of water. And Mark Montaigne ran in and said, well, what's the matter? What happened to the child? And the teacher said, she's not sick, but she hasn't eaten for a few days, and she's very, very weak. And, and that moment, God spoke to Mark Montaigne and said, Mark, you cannot teach a hungry belly. And God birthed in him in that moment of compassion to feed the hungry. I want to challenge you. And now years later, again, there are thousands being impacted because one man, one moment, one day, was moved with compassion to touch a hungry little girl. I, I want to challenge you, Harvest. This is the hour. To say individually and together, God, fill us with a love for people. Give us a love for my neighbors. Give me a love for my family. Don't get mad at me. It's Sunday morning. I want to keep all my friends. But I wouldn't give a nickel for somebody's religion that doesn't weep over unsafe loved ones and unsafe family. But may God give us a genuine love for people. And I love 2 Corinthians 1. It tells us that our God is the Father, the God of all compassion. How many are glad God had compassion upon you? Come on, someone say yes. So vision must always have the key ingredient of a spirit of compassion that says, I care about you. And uh, that's why I think I was so moved by your Easter outreach because it's, it's more than eggs and plastic and, and candy. It's letting a single mother know, I care about you and your child. It's letting somebody know that you, listen, that's why we, we don't measure those events. But how many people come in next Sunday? That, that's wrong thinking. We do those things because we love people. We want them to know that they matter. Can I get a big Amen. My dad told me as a little kid before he was ever a believer. My dad was six foot seven. I'm the little guy in our family. And I remember my dad looking at me before even being a believer. I'm a young boy. And a family walked down the street one day. And my dad would talk to everybody. He'd always laugh like this. Ha, 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 ha. Kind of goofy. But you can laugh any way you want when you're six foot seven. Somebody say yes. Come on. And a family walked down the road, and my dad was friendly to everybody and so kind and gentle. When they walked by, my dad said something. I had no idea it would mark my life and speak deeply. He said, son, don't ever forget this. But everybody matters. Everybody matters. Every kid in a gypsy village in Romania, they matter. Every kid trafficked in, in India. When you're trafficked in India as a girl, uh, there are some young ears, i got to be careful. But when you are trafficked as a girl in India, the first day of your captivity, you are violated over 40 times the first day. They want to strip you of any sense of a future or of a hope. Or just they want you to feel like you're nothing but a piece of flesh. Those girls matter to Jesus. And tonight, uh, this morning, whether it's India or, or Romania or Alexandria, Virginia, God's looking for people in churches that don't get sucked into the, the things happening in the world. I mentioned that last night. This isn't our, this simply be more political than we are biblical. Let's get so filled up with Jesus that we simply love a broken world and tell them that nobody loves them like Jesus does. 
Those four men, though, honey, am I talking too fast? A little bit too loud this morning. Okay, thanks, baby. Robin has signs sometimes, and she doesn't have them, thank the Lord. But she has signs she holds up. She really has them. I don't know why she normally does. Maybe it's a miracle that I needed some freedom. But she has one sign she holds up, I'm not even kidding you, that says, that, that says uh, slow down. It's, I'm, and you're thinking, I wish she had that sign right now. She has another sign that says wipe your mouth. That means do this, whatever. She has one sign that says... The last thing you said is nowhere found in the word of God. And uh, she doesn't have the last sign, but she does have those signs. You show me somebody that's making a difference in this world. You show me a young person. I remember one girl, I was a youth pastor 400 years ago. And I remember a girl came up to me in our youth ministry and she said, Pastor Greg, God used me to be a witness today. I said, that's incredible. How, how did he use you? How did he use you? We would challenge them to be sold. We'd go out to arcades on Friday nights to win souls. you go fishing with a fish shark. Can I get a yes? You, just to love on people. I said, I'm so proud of you. How did God use you? You said, well, I got my tray at school, and I went to my, my table uh, where I sit with a bunch of people, and there's one boy that sat down, and he said a bad cuss word. I knew that was my moment, so I stood up, and I slammed my tray on the table, and I said, you are a filthy pig. I don't talk like that. I follow Jesus, and I stormed out of the cafeteria she said pray because i'm praying god uses that to touch his heart there might be a better way to go about it can i get a big yes there's a better way to gather the honey than by kicking the beehive god is looking for people so full of the love of jesus they walk with a vision that's saturated with compassion they're looking for every moment they can. The gas station, the supermarket. They don't walk with an edge. They don't walk with a sense. But there's a sense. Their antennas are up. And, and God, today, uh, Mary Kay, the cosmetic guru, uh, would tell her followers that she believed every person lived life with an invisible sign that said, somebody make me feel special today. You want God to use you? You want uh, young people? You want to be a leader in your school? Uh, you want God to use you in your neighborhood? then begin to love people and begin to let the love of Christ that's flown in us, let that same compassion flow out. And so these four guys, one of them, at least one of the four, had to say, guys, listen, I know we're busy, gonna be, but listen, that guy can't walk. And I just feel bad. They began the miracle by walking with a spirit of compassion. The second thing they teach us, that, that vision that makes a difference either individually or corporately, it must also contain a spirit of conviction. I'm not sure it was, if it was all four or one or three, but at least one of those four guys had to say, boys, I'm not sure how it's going to happen. I have no idea how it's going to go down. But at least one guy had to have said this. If we bring him to Jesus, he's going to walk again. If we can pick him up and bring him to Jesus, he's going to get healed and walk again. There's something about a spirit of conviction and a sense of, of being convinced that Jesus still changes lives. I know not you, but in some circles we hear this. Again, not you, I'm sure. But folks, Greg, Greg, Greg you, you travel, you and Robin, you don't know our area. People are up, Greg, you don't breathe sweat. People don't want Jesus. Yes, they do. Uh, there's a longing to reject Christ. And I, I get that. But there's a hunger because we're all created in the image of God. There must not be a mindset that says, well, and I've heard this, well, you know what, just nobody wants God, and, and this line kills me. I, I just don't get it, how somebody can just live without Jesus. Well, we weren't always saved. We weren't born like this. He saved us, church. I'm not sure if I was lost before I was found. How about you? Well, without God's grace, there we go, but for God's grace. That's why the Bible tells us that, that God never delights in the death of the wicked. It breaks God's heart. Uh, when, when folks who lost their vision, and they can be church faithful attenders, but if they no longer walk in compassion, they can laugh when, uh, when famous sinners die. That breaks God's heart because God simply loves people. 
but there must be a conviction that if Jesus saved us, Jesus can save anybody, church. I remember hearing of a shoe, shoe company in America that wanted to branch out overseas and to a third world country in Africa and, and I sent one of his top salesmen. So he went there and just to branch out, scout out the area, flew all the way over to a portion of Africa. I can't remember exactly where Africa is pretty big. But he wasn't on the soul of Africa. He wasn't even there for three hours. When he, when he called back home and said, Boss, I'm taking the next flight back home. We've missed it here. We haven't heard. This isn't right. Uh, this isn't going to work here. And uh, the boss said, Well, what's the matter? He said, Well, boss, we sell shoes. And everybody here is barefoot. It's not going to fly here. It makes no sense. He flew back home. Well, the boss couldn't get over this, this burden, this, this, this conviction that he wanted to expand his business. And he sent another salesman about a few months later to the same place he sent his top guy. He wasn't on ground for an hour. But he called back to the boss and said, boss, I load our warehouses. Send every shipment of shoes we've got. Boss, send every pair. He says, well, what, what are you saying? The other guy, he says, boss, you're not going to believe this. He said, everybody here is barefoot. Everybody needs shoes. It's amazing the difference a spirit of conviction can make when we believe that Jesus can save anybody, anywhere, in any place. I love Acts 1-3. It, it talks about Christ after his suffering. He showed himself to these men and gave them convincing proofs he was alive. I, I love 2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12, where Paul tells Timothy that I am convinced he's able to keep and guard what I've entrusted to him against that day. I think of 2 Timothy 3, 14, where Paul said to Timothy, continue and uh, what you have learned and have become convinced of. And we have to ask ourselves, what is it we become convinced of? Let's not get churchy this morning, church. Can I get a yes? Let's not get religious and cranky and, and ornery. Let's stay tender to Jesus. Let's love each other. And let's let Alexandria know that there's a good God in heaven that puts broken people back together again. There's something about a conviction that just my God can change anybody, anywhere, any place. I remember hearing of a South American missionary who was preaching the crusade there in South America when a young man was out for a meeting, walked up to him after this, this meeting and just came up brazenly and said to the, the preacher, the evangelist, said, hey, can I, I, I want your Bible. I notice you have a big, thick Bible. I want your Bible. He said, well, why, what, what, you, you like my Bible? He said, yeah. He, said, he just had kind of a, an edge, and there was a, like a, a, a brashness. And he said, yeah, I saw all that paper in your Bible. It wasn't like, like electronic. We're not talking. He said, I saw the paper. He says, I, I love marijuana. I saw all that paper. I need that book. I need that book because I can pull out pages, and I can use it to, 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 to you know, what, whatever. And uh, you're thinking, well, Greg, of course, the missionary, uh, didn't maybe correct the, God spoke the missionary and said you give him your Bible right now and then God spoke to him this word he said son I'm gonna give him my Bible he said the guy's eyes lit up he was shocked he thought sure he'd hold it back and said whatever but the missionary looked and said I'm gonna give him my Bible as long as you make me one promise he said it's a thick Bible lots of pages in this book they can be all yours if you just make one promise he said what's the promise he said, make me the promise that before you smoke it, you read it. Before you smoke it, you read it. Before you pull out a page, uh, you read it. He thought for a second, well, that doesn't sound like too bad of a deal. He gets, gets in the big, thick Bible, and it's over. Some years go by, back in the same area. Now, you're going to get ahead of me, but let me enjoy finishing the story. The missionary is preaching a message. This is years later. What a young couple, a young guy looked at his wife and he wrote this in the article and says, honey, I think that's him. I think it's him. Uh, he preached his message and people came to Christ and afterward a sharp young couple walked up to the missionary. He said, sir, I got a strange question for you. He said, do you remember years ago, you may not be the one I think you are. Uh, your voice, something rings through. But you ever remember 
giving your Bible to a guy that wanted the Bibles to smoke some weed. And do you remember giving your Bible? Of course, it wasn't like there's been so many I've given to do that. I can't recall. He said, no, I remember. He said, I'm the guy. He said, it was me. He said, Jesus has changed my life. He said, I'm living for God now. I'm serving Jesus. I married a woman of God. The guy was so excited. He said, I can't thank you enough. And Jesus has totally set me free. And the mister says, well, I remember giving the Bible, but, but Jesus, how did he change it? Tell me your story. He said, don't you remember? You said to me, I'll give it to you as long as you promise to read it before you smoke it. He said, brother, he says, I, I, I thought I'd blow it off, but he says, I didn't. He said, I smoked Matthew, and then I, I, rather, I read Matthew, and then I smoked Matthew. I, 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 I read Mark, and I smoked it. I, I, I read Luke, and, and then I smoked it. But he said, I got to John, and John smoked me. <laughs> he said, Jesus has completely changed my life. May God bring back the churches and board members and council members and elders and kids workers and teachers and sons and daughters that God's not done moving in these last days. God give us five kids at Harvest Church that say, Lord, there's no reason that there can't be 30 people on that fishing trip. There's no reason that God can save a high school kid by putting a lure on his line or have, matter of fact, we'll help finance that trouble. I'm not even kidding you. Uh, we'll so into that whatever you give me just six young people give me just three that say you know what how about we believe for god to shake our school they're waiting for you man uh, we, we see all the, the, the confusion uh, all the gender issues and the, all the problems and let's not go wagging our finger telling the world again how wicked let's go love on people let's have a conviction that the God that save us the same Jesus that can save anybody anywhere in any place so those four guys conviction 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 if we pick him up and bring him to jesus he's gonna walk again may a spirit of conviction just fill this church and every church across america that says our best days are now and in the days ahead. You listen, there are churches that have had, they can have every bell, every whistle, and brew the best coffee, but without vision, people perish. The world isn't going to heaven because of good coffee, as wonderful as that is. They need to know the power and love of Jesus. So let's say, God, fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk with compassion and the conviction fill my heart. I'm almost done, please. I feel passionate about this. Are we still together? You haven't left yet, have you? Because you can be your thinking, oh, this, i got to get out of here. But there's a reason why God has you sitting where you are. Vera, have I spit on you yet this morning? I'm, I'm far back, okay? I'm, an, I'm aiming at you all morning long, so you're, you're okay though, right? Here's the deal. Those four guys had compassion. They had conviction. But this maybe is a miracle within the miracle. A true vision from God that impacts a person in a community in a church must always have the ingredient of the spirit of cooperation. The Bible tells us that one man picked up the lame person, no cooperation needed. But there, he could have walked over and said, hey, listen, dude, I was, walk, I was going to the supermarket, whatever, and I saw you laying here, so I just want to, he could have said, look, I know you can't walk, so... I'm going to put you over my shoulder. I'm going to pick you up like this. I'm going to drag you like this. He could have done that any way he wanted to because he's all by himself. But there wasn't one person. There were four people. And there's many of our good churches who are being held hostage by a spirit of disunity. The Bible says he, he commands a blessing when people dwell together in unity. You show me any church, I don't care how all the bells, all the, you just, we, we, we bent, look, we're, we're small potatoes, but you show me a place where this inward fighting and friction over whether should it be chairs or pews or, or vaccine, no vaccine, mask or no mask. Let's get beyond that stuff. Can I get a big yes? Let's get back to kingdom business, loving people and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may be clothed, clothed in God, the garb of spirituality, but if 
but lacks the mission of Jesus, who should go into the world. We can miss it. And so here's, listen, there was that one, but there's four guys. So imagine the four guys go over, and one guy says, listen, we're going to pick them up. You, I'll get one, let you get the other. And one guy says, no, I, I, I know the right way. No, well, I'll get on this side, you two on the other. Another guy says, well, no, we're going to drag them. Listen, they could have come with four different ways to get the job done. Do you know how many churches are making no impact in their community? Because nobody agrees on anything. Listen, we're in churches a lot, and we've had to learn to worship, whether in India, Africa, whatever. Music is a big deal, of course, and, and I've heard some folks say, well, you know what, I'm telling you, I, I don't like the music. Then sit, when you're by yourself at home, sing the songs you like. I, I'm gonna, I've got some young people. I'm going to lose some friends right now. I was shaving this morning. Listen to Dottie Rambo. I lost every young person in the room right now. And, uh, and listening to whatever. But, but, but and just, when you're alone, man, you worship, use your, But we come together. We worship together, church. Whether it's a song or, or that we like or stop. The object is that Jesus is the one that we're worshiping. We don't hold back our praise because of the style, hymn, song, chorus. We worship him because he's worthy of the high praises. There's something about when people walk in unity, when there's a oneness, and they could have fought together. And imagine, had they not cooperated, that poor guy could have had more than lame legs. Imagine when they tore the roof off, when they said, we're going to lower you down, or we're going to, listen, he could have ended up with a concussion as well as lame legs. But we never underestimate the, the, the travesty that what could happen when somebody causes discord in the church. That's why Paul says, I, and we don't like these kind of verses, but Paul says, I want you to mark people who cause discord among you. I want you to mark people. You know, in the, in the winter times, we've popped on the Florida for a little bit for ministry and some fun. And we're not boat people. We love the water. But what I mean by not boat people, we don't have a boat. What we rent, we rent this little pontoon thing, whatever. And I remember one of our first times down there in southern, southwest Florida, with my, my mother, Robin, and myself, and my, my in-laws, and you're live streaming. <laughs> my mother-in-law is a wonderful woman. So she's on the, she really is too. And, um, and so we're on this, this boat, we're cruising through these channels. And all of a sudden, Robin said, look at the nice boat with all the lights. Look at that nice boat. And a police boat with sheriff comes cruising toward our little vessel. Comes right along. So I got pulled over by the boat police. South of Naples, near Mark. I mean, I got pulled other boats. You ever, you ever been on the highway or whatever, and someone gets pulled over, and you, you, you got to look and see if you know who the person is, whatever. You ever have it happen on the way to church, and you're thinking, oh, dear God, I pray that if it's you, let no one see me, please. Let no one see me, whatever, and whatever. And so the guy pulls up, and it says on the boat, it says Rose River Marina. And uh, he says, hey, uh, you drive a boat much? And he was very kind. He said, well, no, sir. My, we rented this boat, whatever. And he says, well, he says, I just wanted to stop you. And he says, uh, he he said, you got some people pretty angry at you right now. I said, excuse me? I, I, I had no idea. He said, well, yeah, you're in a no-wake zone. He said, and you're, you're driving, you're not flying, but you're in a clip, and you're rocking boats on the shore, and people been, they haven't been waving at you. Let me put it like that. They you think they're, they're not waving at you. They're, they're waving, but they're not waving at you. And they're yelling things out to you, but they're not like saying, how's your day going? You see, people are very upset because uh, you're going along. It might look good in front of you, but you're rocking all the boats behind you. He said, I'm not going to give you a ticket, you know, nice family, whatever, because my mother-in-law is a wonderful woman. And um, he just said, just slow it down, whatever. Listen, if, if you're in this room this morning, please receive this with love. Well, Greg, I've been to five churches in five years. I'm telling you, I, we just, uh, I'm just the churches today, whatever. You know, I just can't find a place. Maybe it isn't the church's fault. Maybe it's you causing discord and gossip and using it in the form of a prayer request. That makes it so nice. It's wrapped with prayer. I just want to keep you informed about the church. There's some issues and so you can pray more with more knowledge. But what it is is it's the devil himself causing friction in the body of Christ. If Satan can use people to bring discord, let's be people that walk in unity. Let's speak life to people. That's where you yell amen. Come on. Let's speak life and encouragement. Uh, it tells us in, in 1 Peter 
create that, that we're to live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, 5 talks about uh, that word, God wants to give a spirit of unity among yourselves. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. And so you and I are in a place that say, God, God, I want vision. I, I want you to use me, God. I, I don't want to cause discord. I don't want to uh, be a problem in the church, but I want to breed unity. I want to speak love and life to people. When those four guys walked over to that man on the mat, one of them might have said, how about we do it like this? And together, they carried that man together. And friend, Harvest Church, we can do more together than we can by ourselves. Can somebody say yes? So my prayer for Harvest, and I've sensed it this week, this isn't, by the way, a, a, a scolding, because I haven't, I, we've been so refreshed being here. But this is a channel, like a coach in a locker room at halftime that says, there's a, still a half to play. It's going to be a tough one. The enemy's out to steal and kill and destroy. So walk with compassion. Be full of love. Walk with conviction that no one's beyond the help of the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. If he saved us, he can save anybody. And, and walk is one. Walk in unity and, and walk in true. He says, make every effort, which means sometimes it's, it's not going to be easy. But may we walk in effort to maintain unity in the body of Christ. You know, I'm almost done. Pastor said if you could end by three, that would be great, but I'm going to end in a minute. He didn't quite say that. These four guys teach us. We're almost done. Don't touch your car keys. They'll explode in your hands. But listen, the, the, what we see also in unity in these four guys in Mark chapter 2 is a spirit of creativity. And this is where vision gets fun. Can you imagine? They pick up the guy on the mat and they carry him to Jesus. They carry him and they lay him down in front of the house. The Bible tells us you couldn't get in the front door. The place was jam-packed with people. And when you approach a home, you normally would use the front entrance. You use the door to the house. That's how you usually do things. And that's the struggle for many of us in these last days. We do what we do because that's all that we've ever done when sometimes God has a fresh idea. Churches who are addicted to the last thing God has done will be the first resistant to the next thing that Jesus wants to do. Let's be thankful for what God has done. Old Testament, they, they built altars and uh, erected stones to tell the children, listen, this is what God did here. So we, we, we remember, you'll, you'll do that for your 30th year anniversary. It's good to remember, look at what God has brought us. But don't, but, and remember and give God all the praise and his faithfulness. But, but don't be stuck on what God did in the past. Say, God, you brought us this far. God, give us new ideas for the next 30 years. So I don't know which one it was. I'm almost done. One of the four, maybe all four, but at least one of the four brought the guy to the house. And maybe two of the four or three of the four said to the guy, look, we're sorry, man. We carried you. We're soaking wet with sweat. I did this to illustrate the message. That's why I'm sweating right now. But we carried you here because inside that house, his name is Jesus Christ from Nazareth. He opens up blind eyes, dude. He can raise the dead. Nothing's too hard for him. He's the promised Messiah. And we, we saw you. We meant well. Our intentions were good. We, we meant well, but we, we brought you here. We had church softball at 6, but we're going to be late for that because we, we have compassion on you. And, and just, but, but you can see yourself. Your legs can't work, but your eyes can see. The, the door is jammed. The people sitting in the windows, you, you can't get inside the house. So some of the four money said, listen, we, we just meant well. And we're, we're so, listen, we got, we got to go. We got softball at 6. Listen, we, we care about you but listen if things open up whether maybe some whatever and uh, we're sorry we, we meant to bring you all the way but there's, there's a little bit of an obstacle a little bit of a challenge and and so we just that's what some people do but at least one of the four when people were dialoguing making excuses while the ministry couldn't be completed all the obstacles all the reasons we can't fulfill the mission we were given at least one of the four wasn't negotiating with a person making excuses. But at least one of the four was looking like this, square at that door. Looking at that door. Looking at that door. Looking at that door. When suddenly his eyes went from this 
to this. He looks down, looks up, looks down, and says, boys, I have an idea. We normally use the door, but tonight we're going to tear the roof off the house. And this is where religious people lose their minds. Sorry, online people, I got to come down for this. You should have been here anyhow. I love you, care about you. But listen careful. Those that need online, I'm joking. You need it. We're glad you're tuning in, especially my mother-in-law. Listen careful, because she's a wonderful woman. And she's a big giver. Remember, mom, thousands, T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. I'm having fun with my mother-in-law. It's okay, I'm sorry. At least one of the four was looking at the door and looked up like this. And this is what upsets people who've lost their vision. They say, listen, are you serious? You're going to take the tiles and rip the roof off the house? Not to make a peek hole, but to lower a man big enough who's lying on a stretcher. And all of a sudden, one guy gets up and says, have you taken a second and thought what this is going to cost the church? Do you have any idea the inconvenience this is going to bring to our gathering together? Can you imagine somebody sitting, and they're on the roof, and they're, can you imagine, Sister Vera, and you wouldn't do this because you've got such a great spirit, online people, forgive me, but somebody sitting in their spot, having no idea that they're digging the roof right up above their head, and they're sitting in their spot, whatever, and a, a big dirt ball hits them on top of the head, and they're looking at the young people, going, what's going on? These kids nowadays, I'm telling you, these kids and sitting there, and a, then another one, and another one, and then she looks around, and then she looks up. And she sees four sweaty faces looking down, going like this. <laughs> May we never underestimate the power of creativity. May God give somebody in this room the next idea to win Alexandria, Virginia. It may be so simple. You said about fishing. God can use that to touch young people. There's a couple right now in Florida. Uh, they were at our home church for years, and, and um, we'll call them, we'll call them uh, Mark and Tanya because you're live streaming. Their name is actually Mark and Tanya, by the way, but, but they're, they're, they're professional fishermen, and they have a ministry in Florida right now. They're coming to Romania next year. The kids in Romania love to fish. Uh, they have major companies from bass, uh, pro bass, whatever it is, and, and they're bringing fishing poles and they're bringing gear, and we're going to have a whole citywide fishing exhibition and a fishing derby. Why? Uh, yeah, let kids have a blast. Let them have a ball pulling in a fish, and then we'll share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is just a, a wonderful, humble couple that, that love fishing, and God's using it to win people to Christ, and now it's going to go international. What idea is God going to give you? Uh, we drove in. I never saw I never paid attention to details. We're in our own house. And I go, Robin, that painting is beautiful. It's been on the wall, Greg, for 25 years. I don't pay attention. We drove in this morning. Um, so look at the back of the church, the playground. It's, it, it's gorgeous back there. Man, let God give somebody a vision to win the next teenager, how to win the high schoolers, how to, how to, how to touch somebody, whatever. But may we never underestimate the power or the spirit of creativity. God gives somebody in this room a fresh idea. I was speaking at a youth convention. I'm almost done in Canada. I spoke a lot of youth things years ago when I wore my pants a lot, lo a lot lower. Because you, you get 50 and over and you start pulling up your pants. It's disgusting. It's terrible. There are young people in the room right now. You ever see young people, uh, their, their pants are down low and they kind of whatever, and we look and go, that's just awful. No, what's awful is a guy down in Florida or this bathing suit pulled up to here, walking along the pool, whatever. I, I don't want to be that guy. How about you? Come on. But I'm, I'm 63. Uh, I, once I began to hike up my britches, I, I no longer do the cam circumventions in America. I wear my pants too high. What was I even talking about? What was I even talking about? Oh, yeah, I was in Canada. Okay. And I'm going to pull down my pants just a little bit. I'm in Canada, and I woke up at this convention and, uh, back in the day when I went on my pants lower. And there was nowhere to get anything to eat, drink a coffee. So I went out of the, of the hotel, went down the street, a little bit of a, it said bakery, but went in. I saw no big, I saw these racks of something. There's a little coffee pot, whatever, but it wasn't like a bakery like I know. And I walked in, nobody was in there, and a guy came out. His name was Kevin. I said, hi, I'm Greg. I'm Kevin. And he said, uh, 
uh, can I help you? I said, yeah, I just came for, for some coffee and maybe you know, some, a pastry. And he said, wow, I don't, wow, that's amazing. Um, it's not good walking into a bakery when someone's amazed when you come in to buy some of their goods. You know what I mean? That isn't a good sign, you know? And uh, I said, really? He said, well, I, we, we don't get much walking business. And I said, really? It's just bakery. He says, yeah, I know. But he says, we almost lost our shirts with this business. He said, we lost, we lost everything. Business just plummeted. And he said, I was, couldn't pay the mortgage, and my marriage was in trouble. And one day, I'm kneeling by my bed in my house, and God gave me a word for the business in the word. This word changed his life. It may change your life. The word that God gave that man kneeling by his bed was ginger snaps. I kid you not. Ginger snaps. I said, ginger snaps? He said, well, not any kind of ginger snaps. He said, God gave me a recipe for ginger snaps. And God said, don't make them in a circular cookie. Make them in like a, a, like, like a graham crocker type deal, but a little bit thinner, so people can dunk them in their coffee. He says, we can't believe this. He said, our business has gone crazy. We're now in stores. We've gone over into Maine. We're in stores. He says, we cannot make these cookies fast enough. We're shipping them out. Our business is booming. Uh, we're, we're growing. We're sustaining things here, but we're shipping it out because somehow this crazy cookie has God's favor on it, and stores are buying it. People are wanting it. He says, we, the ginger snap cookie has saved our business. It'll save our marriage. What is the point? May we never underestimate the power of God to drop an idea into your spirit that may seem crazy for others, but may be the idea to unlock the door to your destiny into your ministry. My prayer for somebody breathing in the room this morning, that we don't walk out going, well, okay, I heard that, whatever, but the same old, same old. How about we walk out and say, God, give me a fresh idea today. How to win my neighbors and win my friends. One, Al and Bonnie Savoda, great couple, he's a coach, great guy. He didn't know his neighbors. He said, Lord, I don't know my neighbors. I don't know how to win them. We're not making any difference. And God said, I've got an idea for you. He said, learn the first name of your neighbors. Learn their first names. It was always, hey, man, hey, man. How's it going, man? Hey, man, hey, man. How's it going? Hey, dude. Don't say dude. Don't pronounce it. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Whatever. Hey, man. And, uh, and, so, so, and so he goes to anywho.com and puts in his address, and he learns all of his neighbors, and now they're walking by his house, and they come out, and now it's no longer, hey, man, how's it going? Whatever. That was, hey, Kevin, I'm Michelle. How are you? And they're going, what? what? And began to learn their names. People in his neighborhood have accepted Christ as Savior, Bible study in their house, because Al simply heard from God to learn the names of people. So don't let this discourage you. Don't let this, but walk out excited today that God's going to give you the next idea to use you to win souls. I got to end with this as Pastor Tim comes and you can play something that I wrote, Pastor Tim, because you do that. Thank you so much. I remember giving him lessons as a young boy and he's doing so well. Amen. Doing so well. Just kidding. But as he plays soft, are we still together? The last thing is this and we're done. Vera, we, am I going too long? Are we okay? We got two more seconds. She said I'm okay, so it's all her fault. Listen careful. It's all on Vera. Listen careful. When they taught, so this compassion, conviction, this creativity. God, give me an idea to win people. Give me an idea to reach the lost in these last days. Give me an idea. The wells on church property, it's so simple, but it's, 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 it's God's idea that people, it, it's the center place now of the community, and people are getting, hearing Jesus over a bucket of clean, fresh water. But then there's got to be this and we're done. Well, they got up on top of the roof and they told the guy, and remember, not everyone will be excited about your creativity. I'll prove it to you. They walk up to the guy in the mat. We got a great idea. We're tearing the roof off and we're dropping you through the roof. Don't expect everyone to be thrilled about your creativity. But whatever he says to you, you do it in the name of Jesus Christ. You do it. And they dig the hole, not anywhere. The Bible tells us they lowered the man on the mat, and when he landed gently, he landed at the feet of the man named Jesus. Christ must be 
at the heart of our vision. Because then the danger can be, uh, Salvation Army slogan for years is soup, soap, and salvation. Our vision mustn't only be soup and soap, as important as it is. We mustn't forget Jesus. And so when they got on the roof, it wasn't like this crazy, just tear the roof off, whatever. It was first this, where's Jesus? Where's he teaching? Guys, he's right He's right down here. And slowly, slowly, it was the night they tore the roof off. And they lowered the man down on the mat right smack in front of the teaching Jesus. And the Bible tells us, this is amazing to me, and I'm done. Though the man gently landed at the feet of Jesus, the Lord did not say, you know what, dude? Because of your faith, you are healed, your sins forgiven. The Bible tells us that he saw the man, but then looked up. He sees the guy, and he sees the faces of four sweaty men. We don't even know their names, but they got it. They walked with vision. And the Bible says, not my word, the Bible says that when he saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he shocked them and said, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, by the shock, they did not bring that man for sins to be forgiven. They brought the man so Jesus could heal his legs. The lesson there is this. When Christ is in the heart of our vision, and our vision isn't about lifting us up, but lifting Jesus up to touch a broken world, that in the vision, he'll always give us more than what we bargained for. Son, your sins are forgiven, but that you all may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Take up your mat and walk. And in that second, bones crackle. The missionaries in Ivory Coast told us that the revival in the 70s that shook the Ivory Coast, polio hit Ivory Coast terrible that in the evening crusades, you could hear the crackling of the bones as Jesus was healing the sick all over the crowds. The missionary said, I was a young boy. He says, I heard the crackling of the bones as cripples leaped to their feet, healed by the power of God. They burned their crutches at night. One night the mother said, see the light in the sky. Yes, mommy, what is it? That fire is a testimony that God is still doing the miraculous. He gets up, takes up his mat, and he goes home. And I, I promise you, this is the end. I, I, maybe I'm off, maybe you can correct me, but I, happily, I, I believe this, that that crippled man now healed, that sinner now saved, I'm sure he gave Jesus all the praise and all the glory because it's all about Jesus. Can I get a big yes? It's all about him. But you cannot convince me that when that man walked out of that room with his mat, on, he now holds what once held him. I just have to think that when he walked out, he stopped and looked up. Thank you, guys. I'll never forget you for picking me up and believing that Jesus can make my legs walk again.